back there and get me a cold beer, boy. I am very disappointed in each and every one of you. This is your United States of America. I can think of a lot of better things to do than walk down to the lake and get in there and cross Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode five of Hitting the Monarchs Pro Wrestling Podcast for Thursday, September 28th, 2017. On today's show, we've got our No Mercy review, all your Monday Night Raw and Tuesday Night SmackDown live coverage. We're talking Evolve's transitional period, hyping some Lucha Underground, the Bullet Club invading Raw, and Cody Rhodes officially signing with Ring of Honor. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to tell you that this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. Talking creative, the business aspects of professional wrestling, and of course, giving our unsolicited opinions. You can contact the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks. Drop us an email at hittingthemarks at gmail.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. Joined alongside my Huckleberry, RBV. Rick, welcome to your show. It's me, it's me, it's that RBV, Rick Vickery, back in the co-pilot seat again. Jargo, quite an exciting week of wrestling, or a news build, I should say. Let's go ahead and jump right on into this bad boy. Originally, we weren't going to do any kind of a No Mercy review because people do No Mercy reviews left and right. And then we actually had some of you listeners reach out to us and be like, hey, are you guys going to do a No Mercy review? So, Rick, you want to do a No Mercy review? I said we uh, still a little bit different because everybody out there has already run the show down. It's been in the books for quite a while now. I thought we'd tie it in here a little bit No Mercy, but more so into that fallout and where we're heading from here. Oh, yeah, we got notes on Monday Night Raw coming up, that's for sure. Um, first of all, how did you rate the show? Scale of 1 to 10, what did you think of the show overall? I had it ranked probably around 5.5, if I'm feeling generous, maybe a 6. I felt disappointed overall with the show. For the most part, it just reconfirmed that the days of classic, deep emotional storytelling have long passed us by, and I'll mainly place blame on one of those marquee matches, but I'm sure we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, I'm just going to kind of go through the matches here and let me know if you've got any thoughts on the match itself. Uh, Miz versus Jason Jordan to kick things off. Well, number one, actually, before we go there, what did you think of the way that they laid this card out? I mean, last week we did our special Around the Pool edition. There was a little bit of a variance between me and you. I think we had the first and the third matches flipped, and other than that, we basically called the card how it was going to go. What did you think of how they formatted this show? It's typical WWE style. Too much roller coaster ups and downs. I'm of the belief, you know, come up with something that's going to get you going, but you ultimately build that card, which hat tip to New Japan, they do this. They start you off hot. And they slowly build, build, build through each intriguing match. There really isn't that time to sit back and take a break during their big shows. I'm sure there is. It's called intermission. That's why they have it there. That's why they have but through, it. But through the matches, you know, there's no intent that, okay, let's, let's pull it back a little bit and let people breathe. You know, they keep you excited. 
one match to the next. So I said I would have started the show with Enzo and Neville. I believe you started the show with Balor and Wyatt, right? That's correct. They go with The Miz and Jason Jordan. Which I think is, I think that's a good opener. You know, it's going to bring some excitement. They put a lot of work into it, especially on that go-home show. I like the match. I'm just not sure that it's the best match to kick off the show. I wouldn't have gone that direction, but I understand their logic behind there. They did this throughout the entire show, with the exception of Brock and Strowman. I hate it. Absolutely hate it when the champion enters first. That drives me nuts. That is, maybe I'm just old school, out of touch lunatic or something, but that drives me absolutely insane. It's a bit of a, bit of a pet peeve of mine, but in this in this case, Miz is going to get you a much bigger pop coming out than Jason Jordan to kick off your show. So Miz is cheered throughout the match. Jordan is booed throughout the match. One thing I got to thinking about as I was watching this match, can a vanilla babyface get over in 2017? Uh, Jordan's falling short. Bailey obviously fell short. Is there room for that generic vanilla babyface in 2017? Most certainly. The problem is where they're falling short is they're not really giving us a reason to emotionally connect there. And this is where this match ultimately ultimately let me down. Right guy goes over, post-match falls apart. As I've stated before, we should have got a very emotional Jordan, almost to the point of tears, pounding his hand, fist on that mat. Why can't I get over this hump? I'm so close. I know it's against odds, but I should have been able to do this. Give, give him a reason. The worst thing they could have done is what they did, and that was give him the mic there. Make a emotional connection before you allow him to start trying to fall right into his mic work. They did this twice on the show where they had Renee jump into the ring immediately following the match. Um, didn't think that it worked for uh, Alexa. Certainly didn't think it worked for Jordan. Jordan telling all the fans, or telling the Miz that he sucks at the end, completely lost the crowd. Oh, completely. And it's not what he, you know, it's not the mindset he should have been in there right now. He should have been more disappointed in himself and his own failures. Because we've all been out there where you question yourself. Things are going well, life's looking all right, or, or it's not so much going that your way. And you don't know if you can get over that hump and turn things around to reach those goals that you want to. I did enjoy the Who's Your Daddy chance. Nice job, Staples Center. Uh, Finn Balor, Bray Wyatt was the second match on the show. Um, the only real note that I had coming out of this show was Booker T saying, I don't know what the 1916 is. Rick, do you know what the 1916 is? I sure as hell do not. Can you can you let me know? Or I was just curious. It's a, a alternate finisher that Balor used for a while in NXT. Uh, in New Japan, it was called the Bloody Sunday Reverse DDT. Oh, okay. I knew what that was. <clears throat> um, they called it the 1916 in NXT. But Booker T referencing that he didn't know what it was just blew my mind. I thought the commentary on all three shows this week was just god awful. I thought it was terrible on the pay-per-view. 
thought it was terrible on Raw, and I thought it was terrible on SmackDown last night. It was especially bad across the board. You know, the constant flip-flopping, not being able to get in there at the right moment to drop the promotion and start you know, supporting what we're seeing on screen. It's just especially bad in the last couple days. There is a moment in the match where I finally saw what everybody has seen in Bray Wyatt for years. When he picks up Balor and just started chucking him across the ring, and they go in on this close-up facial of Wyatt, and he just has this dark, demented look on his face. Give me more evil Bray Wyatt, less laughing at himself, talking in circles Bray Wyatt. Those were my only notes for that whole match. You know, what I had for it, you know, at the time, I felt disappointed that Bray suffered suffered a loss here. You know, despite looking strong in that match, I, I felt his character really needed the win where Baylor's popularity would allow him to back, bounce back with no problem. And he was operating as simply just a man instead of a demon well, against the either world. Unfortunately, it looks like we're going to get more of this program, and I'm so done with it. That's what, that's what I said at the time, because with the fallout that, that we witnessed, it uh, looks like they're going to continue on here. Where, where I just I would have liked to see both go in a completely different direction. The Bar versus two-thirds of the Shield. Um, again, they had the champions in her first. Um, watching this match back again, I, just, I think this was by far the match of the night on the show. I was going to say... Credit where credit is due, match of the night out of these four gentlemen. Um, and I, that's what I thought too. And then I rewatched it, and this whole match is really just Sheamus and Cesaro. That was pretty much the whole match to me. Uh, Dean and Seth were kind of there. That was. I think that would, that would speak to a lot of what. We heard in the build to this match, just that Zaro and Sheamus are that team, and as they're dominating this match, maybe that's in people's minds, like, okay, are these two going to be able to coexist and pull this together, which is ultimately the direction that they went in. The white noise powerbomb spot was awesome. Uh, and I don't know what in the hell happened to Cesaro. If he just completely misjudged that going into the ring post or what, that is a nasty-looking injury, man. I can't imagine. All I, all I took from that, how fucking tough is Cesaro? Man, he better be over with Vince now. I know Vince has had questions about Cesaro in the past. He better be over with Vince now. Just- about oh my god well at happened. first at first i thought that the teeth got knocked out and i was like oh my god that's terrible oh, no. No, and then no, no, when no. i found out they were actually shoved up into his gums oh my god and then he comes out the next night before he's had surgery wow that guy that guy's a badass that guy that, is a badass yeah uh stand up and take notice right now This guy needs more of your attention backstage. My favorite spot of the night was after Cesaro hits the post and he's seated on his knees in the ring and Rollins hits him with that seated super kick. It was before you had actually seen the picture of Cesaro's face. 
And when Seth hits that super kick, it's like Cesaro's face just exploded. That was by far the camera shot of the night. In the match over who loses to Asuka first, we have Alexa Bliss retaining her title. I, we both had uh, the title change in hands here, going to different parties. Were you surprised to see uh, the goddess retain? I would say I was a little surprised with each of us having a new champion emerge in our minds. I think that we had it set up. This is going to be, you know, they're just putting this on a platter for Asuka. I don't think that's going to be the case now. I don't think Bliss will be that individual. I think they're going to go another route and try to keep Asuka maybe separate from that championship just for the time being before she moves into that featured that featured program. Since I'm going off about pet peeves, this is one that WWE has done for years that drives me nuts. If it's a one-on-one match, not both competitors have a 50% chance of winning the match. If it's a triple threat, it's not a 33% chance. If it's a four-way, it's not a 25% chance. And if it's a five-way, it's not a 20% chance. If I'm in the ring with Brock Lesnar, I don't care how many other people are in that ring, I have a 0% chance of winning that match because Brock Lesnar is better than I am. Don't relate pro wrestling to math percentages. It doesn't work. So now we get Bliss versus Asuka. Are you looking forward to Bliss versus Asuka, or you think it's going to go in another direction here? I still think that's absolutely where we're going now. I just think they have an, they're high enough on Bliss that they, I, I could be completely missing the mark here, that they just don't want to have her be that first feeder. And I don't, I don't think that really, the imagery there really sells you anything. You know, unless, unless Bliss has got some backup to help her out, which I would have been okay with if, you know, if she was awfully on a men's with, with Naya. But I, I'm, not, I'm not getting anything out of it. I mean, it's almost as laughable as the Heller versus Brock Lesnar to me. Then we get into the two big matches of the night, Roman Reigns versus John Cena. I absolutely hated this match. Uh, I know that seems to be the unpopular opinion of the day, but I hated this match. Rick, what did you think of it? Brother, it's no secret I've been overly negative towards this program since day one. Yet, yet I held out hope it would deliver come match time. Unfortunately, man, it was not the case at all. It was generic spot and kick out. Then afterwards, they opted with the lame as fuck generic passing of the torch moment. That was terrible. It was this, terrible. This is the be all be all lowest common denominator booking, and so many fans just ate it up, brother. I, I didn't get it. I knew this was going to be a shit match. When Cena had already been introduced and is standing in the ring and Roman's music hits and Cena started laughing, I knew right then it was going to be a garbage match. Uh, there, there are two very, very distinct John Cenas. 
You have the John Cena from Money in the Bank 2011 versus CM Punk. And then you have what we had the other night. John Cena, who's just, just not taking this seriously at all. I thought it was the wrong match to have. Uh, I counted... Well, coming into this match, from you know, character perspective, why would he be taking it serious? The entire build to this has been a, a game of grab dick. I did like that you get bearded Roman coming out. I think he looks better with the beard. He looks more like a badass. I did take note that the first image that we see of Roman Reigns on Raw, shaved, super clean, baby face. Uh, yeah, you know, it was more observer. They, they did it right with Roman there. He came out as what he always does. You know, he's the fighter. He was uncomfortable. He was losing that that verbal dispute. Now it's his time to do what he does best. And he had that look on him. He had it serious. We had John over there just kind of nonchalantly continuing what we've seen through this build. I counted outside of a right-hand punch. I think Cena had six moves worth of offense in that entire freaking match. That was a squash match, for guys. Roman squashed John Cena. I don't care how long the match went. That was a fucking squash. And I don't think that was the match to have. Big spots, big spots and kick out, and you get... You get most fans, I don't want to say just casual, because we've each heard it from people that, that live and die that stuff that were just edge of their seat, over the top about it, and I, I just don't get it. They were right in one thing in the build to this match. This was a match about respect. But it was more so a match about John Cena and the fans and their respect towards one another. And all that match did was lose John Cena's respect that he has worked so hard to gain over the last five years with the hardened fan base. That's the only people John Cena's never gotten over with. This match didn't help the case at all. As I was watching this match, I kept hearing CM Punk's voice echoing in my head. It's me versus the Shield three on one. This is the the most pushed three guys since like Bobby Lashley. They've pushed uh, they've pushed and protected all three guys, and they're like you're going over. And I was like, uh, okay, that's what you want. And then they they stress and they grab me and they stress, but you got to make Roman look really really strong. And I was like. No, I was just going to fucking shit on him and beat him. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was just I was just going to tear through him and fucking Superman the shit out of him and just GTS all three of them at the same time, you know, whatever. I was like, yeah, I get it. Okay. So while we're putting the match together, every two minutes, somebody new is coming up to me. Hey, you got to make him look really strong. So I got so sick of Michael Hayes and everybody else coming up to me, people who aren't even involved in the match. Hey, you're making them look really strong, right? And then finally I said, you know what? You know what would make them look really strong? If they beat me. Because three guys can't beat one guy. That's fucking dumb. But no, no, but Vince wants you to go over. Okay. 
but you got to make them look. God damn it. I fucking get it. I know how to do the job. Shut the fuck up. But if one more, you know, like I'm just going to fucking put them over. That's it. I'm going to put them over and then they're going to look really strong and then you're going to be happy, right? Well, no, because they want you to go over. But you have to make them look strong. It's just, it's just the mentality. Make Roman look strong. And that's all that match did. And then you get the big post-match angle. Cena walks over and very reluctantly raises the hand of Roman Reigns. You could tell the look on Cena's face. He knew that moment was going to get shit on and Staples Center didn't disappoint. That moment got shit on. It goes back to a conversation we had just a few episodes ago. This this over this over pushing for current and past superstars to just constantly try to push onto us that this is the man that he has got their approval. It's his locker room. It's his WWE. And this was just sickening here. You could tell Cena didn't even want to do it. You could just see it on his face. This is not going to be received well. And he was right. It was completely unnecessary. You, you could have... I, I wouldn't want to mimic the complete moment, but it, it could have been something similar to Cena's first loss at WrestleMania against The Rock. Rock is standing tall, and Cena's just disgusted with himself. He's just got that dejected look. Where, you know, he's questioning himself, questioning what just happened. We didn't need the interaction between those two. The match they should have had was basically the match that Punk and Cena had in 2011. That match was a classic. That's still my favorite John Cena match. Cena worked his ass off in that match. And it's booked basically 50-50. And if that match would have ended with John Cena raising up CM Punk's hand and giving him the endorsement, people would have bought it. They ain't going to buy it after this match. Well, I, I didn't want it anywhere near there. And to me, it was just low, lowest common booking. Once again, easy way out. We can't think of anything else to do. So just let's just go to the same old, same old that, that we've known in the past. Enzo and Neville for the Cruiserweight Championship. I would just like to give myself a pat on the back and say, nailed it. That match was garbage. I was about as harsh as Enzo's kick to Neville's uh, balls right there. And then we have the main event, Brock Lesnar, Braun Strowman. Did it live up to what you wanted it to be? I would say it lived up to fully to my expectations. I was hoping for some more dramatics in there. A little more outside involvement. Something to really spin it. But I'd say it held its own. I mean, they protected I, Braun as much as they could in having him lose. I think my, my disappointment, if there was any that came from it, is more I thought about it. You know, speaking with you on how we would book how we would book it that episode and talking to some other individuals, I really started coming around on the idea that it was probably the, the right time and place to get that title off of Brock just for the time being, just for the remainder of the year, 
just so we have something else to focus on 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 Ross programming other than those guys talking about who should get the faith Lesnar whenever he decides to show back up. So that's our opinion of no mercy. If you think that we're absolutely dead on, if you think that we're absolutely dead wrong, hit us on Twitter, HTMPWPod. Hit us on Facebook, Hitting the Marks. Shoot us an email, hittingthemarks at gmail.com. Let's move into the follow-up and the fallout that was Monday Night Raw. Uh, this week's episode of Raw, in case anybody's curious, 1.97 live and same-night DVR viewership. Last week was 1.93, so we did see a little bit of an increase coming out of the pay-per-view. Big note was the drop-off again, though. Uh, what did we hit this week? 533,000. Uh, last week was 591,000. The average for 2017, 222,000. Now, they did have a good game going this week. The Cowboys were on. It was a close game going into the fourth quarter. But if you're losing a half a million viewers, what's going on here, Rick? I am completely convinced that WWE has given up on this third hour. Now, this could be a result of the season that we're in. We can always blame the NFL. It could be that school's back in session. But they've obviously been pushing their featured attractions in hours one and two. And for this week's show, pretty much you had the Miz and Mistraz standing tall, overwhelming, mimicking, you know, the symbolism of the fist that the shield used to shoot the shield used to do. To me, that's where that, a normal show would have ended, and it ended right there at 10.15. Almost like that was their run-over spot. The third hour is completely phone home right now. I the almost wonder if cutting back to two hours of Monday Night Raw wouldn't be the smarter business move. I know that third hour is bringing in ad revenue, and that's the argument for keeping the third hour. My question is, and, and these are numbers that we don't necessarily know, at what point are these drop-off numbers going to hurt their negotiation with USA Network going into the next TV deal next year? I know they're bringing in ad revenue now, but is that going to lower the price that they are going to get from USA as far as the commercial ad revenue to where in the long run, they're going to be losing money. I think it might be smarter at this point to kill the third hour. Cut your losses. I don't think contractually they're, they're not getting out of it. I don't. The third hour is going nowhere right now. So the focus should be, how the hell do we retool this thing to make it somewhat appealing to our viewers that want to stick around? I mean, real quick, let's just look back at this week's third hour. We get Finn Balor versus Goldust. Then we get a women's segment that sets up what would be a pretty interesting tag team bout if they had announced it and set it up in hours one and two, but we have one segment set it up, and then it comes out the next segment. And then we close the show with Enzo's celebration of becoming the new Cruiserweight champion. And I'm sorry, you know, I know we're going to get to that, and I and I loved that segment. It was it was great, 
But knowing that that was going to end up closing, believe me, and those that were out there chatting it up about the show, you know, it was just like, oh my God, that's what they're closing with? Well, I have an idea that I came up with of how I would fix Monday Night Raw. Oh, it just so happens I have one of my own. Well, what a coincidence. You would think that maybe that we planned this or something. Hmm. Something fishy going on in this motherfucker. Rick, how would you fix Monday Night Raw? I'm going to go to the, the two-hour, 15-minute format for the actual Raw programming itself. What do you do with the other 45 minutes? Another 45 minutes? We're going we're gonna to play off something that WWE knows works for themselves and has been proven to work in countless other situations for other just television shows and forms of entertainment and start airing Raw Talk every week following your 15-minute run. On top of that, you know, we're going to have some, we're going to do a lot of real talk there, hit home on some points, and make this show over-the-top universe interactive. We want to know what the people think. We've got things going on. Stick around, stay up with us, get on the app. It's the Facebook, post-game show. Twitter. It's the post-game show. I, I did. You turn on football on Sunday, there's a pre-game show. There's a post-game show. You're talking about the post-game show. And I want it interactive. You can still move storylines. We've seen it done with Raw Talk after the pay-per-views. We've seen how successful Talking Smack was before they decided to go ahead and can that besides the, the special event. You know, there were there some things that happened after that pay-per-view on Raw Talk that I felt, well, one in particular, which I know we're getting to, that should have been moved to Monday night and the John Cena kind of sitting there doubting himself and where he's going, have those sorts of things on your television programming, on essentially your free television to get people interested in your product. That was one thing that I really didn't like, and I'm glad that you brought that up. Why did they do that John Cena quote-unquote retirement angle on Raw Talk? And then they, they didn't even show it really on Raw. Well, we had that brief video packs about it. How, how about we pause it on that on that right there because I know we probably both want to dive into it. Why don't you share with us uh, your fix for this raw format first? Well, what I would do, number one, I'm killing the first hour of Monday Night Raw. And I'm, I'm going to make it a two-hour show, but you it's going to go back to that traditional... I want to go back to the traditional primetime slot. In the first hour, instead... I'm going to have one of four programs. These four programs are going to run throughout the year, like seasons, right? So you have your first 12-week season, then you have week 13, which recaps the season and previews the next season. And then you have the next 12 for season two. I'm going to put them in a, in a rotating format, right? So you're going to have the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, the May Young Classic, the Cruiserweight Classic, and the UK Show. Make that the first hour of Raw, rotating in a 13-week schedule. 13 times 4 is 52 weeks of a year. 
more wrestling wins and losses matter. Do it just like the G1. Round Robin style. I, I could see something like that picking up. I, I definitely personally could get down something along those lines. But Two points for a win, one point for a draw, zero points for a loss. Every but match with, matters. But with that shift from your raw episode back to that 9-11, would you still fear that some of that target demographic that they're going after still just turning off that television around that 10 o'clock? Because that's getting late. you got to get up the next day. See, I... I mean, could, I go the other way. I think they're turning off because the third hour is phoned in. If you give them a product to watch, they'll watch it. The Monday Night Wars prove that. But even in this day, in this day, even when they were trying in that third hour, you still saw drop off. Soon it comes down to it is that it's at ten o'clock to to close. Is that too late, or is it just so long that people are just drained by that point? Now I can see. Your idea working, if we flipped it over, because when it comes down to, you know, straight wrestling, wins and losses, your, your older, mature fan or diehard fan is going to be more inclined to make sure they stay up later and tune into that so they can, they can get what they want out of their wrestling product. Let us know what you think. Get us on social media. Which idea do you like better? Do you want a post-game show or do you want... A G1 style pregame show. Oh, I said, I love how you undersell mine. You want this? this well, it's a postgame show. I mean, what do you? Dude, it might be. It might be. Hey, man, you get to look at Renee Young for an hour on your show. On my show, I'm talking about heavy machinery. Let me tell you which one I would rather watch. Yeah. Now we're bringing people in. We're breaking this down. We're getting people involved. We're we're taking it out of the ring, out of the norm, and we're still furthering our program regardless we agree the three-hour raw format not working not working it is tough to get through so let's go into this monday's raw roman and miz kicking the show off with miz t v uh what did you think of the segment segment was was okay Uh, miz once again owns it I mean, he completely, any, any success that they had here was all on his shoulders. The Miz is a master. He is a Roman, master at this point. Roman still seems forced at times. You can tell he's just not, I don't know, they still got him handcuffed. They, they need to find a way to let him cut loose a little bit. It's the, the same complaint. Hurt. It's the same complaint I had about Shane O'Mac last week. Roman comes across as a guy reading a script. He's not talking like a real person, very robotic in his delivery and, you know, make sure he's got that punchline and that zinger there. Yeah, he he wasn't working for me. Miz, once again, you could even tell that when he was supposed to become flustered, man, he sold that perfectly. Start stumbling over some words a little bit because he knew that's what his character would be doing in that moment. It, It was pretty masterful. The Miz did more in 13 minutes for Roman Reigns than John Cena did in four weeks. That's just overall. What's what's your initial feeling on the potential program that's going on here? The what program that's going on here? Of of Miz and Roman. 
the storyline that's, that's possibly developing here for us? I, I think it's ridiculous. Personally, I think it's absolutely absurd. Um, so we're building to a shield versus Miz Taraj, right? I, that's the assumption that we're going off of anyway. I've, I've heard. I've got, I've got three, three main points on this thing. Now, one, I'm not particularly a fan of this program happening now. Agreed. And especially if it's just because to rush the Shield reunion. Agreed. It's very rushed. Ms. Taraj is nowhere ready for a program like this. Not because of the Miz, but, you know, I'm sorry. Axel and Dallas, right now they are nowhere near credible enough to be stepping up to something of this magnitude. They're fucking jobbers. I'm sorry. That's what they are. They're fucking jobbers. Following this opening segment, they couldn't even get over on a tag team that was just randomly paired together. I mean, this is what doesn't make any sense. You put Roman over so goddamn strong, and you have pushed him down our throats so hard. And boy, did they push him down our throats last night. Like, the solution to this problem is we need to push Roman harder. That makes sense. Roman Reigns should be able to beat the entire fucking Miztourage by himself. What the hell does he need Seth and Dean for? There's the problem. Yeah, your whole problem. So Miztourage, Miz is a coward-ass heel. And he's backed up by By two two jobbers. Losers. Roman should be able to just plow through these guys without without any issue, really. I mean, you... To, if you wanted to do this story, you could have, but you needed to start building Axel and Bo before you get to this program. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. You, you've got a weak-ass tag division. You could have been building those guys up through there to make sense where all three of these titles could have been intertwined. Let's say two of the championships. My head, I was counting the tags with two belts, but you could have had all of these intertwined together for some interesting storytelling. It's it's Jinder Mahal 2.0. We're just going to push him to the top of the card, and you people are going to like it. Well, any fan with, with a brain, with any sense, you're going to clearly see through this. This is just a ploy to further promote why you should love Roman Reigns. One thing that I did find very, very interesting about this segment was in reading through and on different podcasts, hearing live reports it sounds like the crowd was basically muted for this show for the tv product uh 75 to 80 percent uh were anti-roman chants going on in the building during this segment including a fuck you roman chant i don't think cena putting him over worked because you did it all wrong You know, they should just make the backlash pay-per-view event like Roman's show. Like SmackDown is the rock show. Backlash <sighs> should be Roman. Every time they try something, they get a terrible freaking backlash from it. I'm waiting for Stone Cold to come walking down to the ring with two beers, give Roman one, and raise his hand. Like we're running out of legends that can endorse Roman Reigns at this point. 
for the love of God. One other interesting note coming out of Ms. TV. It's my personal favorite segment. We like to call it Undertaker Watch 34. The Miz said on TV this week that Roman Reigns retired The Undertaker. More news as it becomes available on Undertaker Watch 34. So bringing it back to Raw, we have Braun Strowman being Braun Strowman on this show. Did you pop as hard as I did when Braun Strowman came out to beat the ever-loving hell out of Kurt Hawkins? I have to admit, it it was kind of, it was a pop moment. I mean, it was a comedy pop, but it was a pop. It's kind of like, okay, you're like, where the hell is this going to go here? I'm, I'm loving the Kurt Hawkins losing streak. I, that's what's so great there, you know, that, you know, you're, you're popping because here comes the big monster Braun, but everything that Hawkins did there. Just, just fantastic. It. It perfect. Just oh, it so fantastic. From his facial expressions to him just hauling his ass out of there, going through the screen, uh, it was perfect. Braun was not damaged at all in that loss to Lesnar. And if you don't believe me, just go listen to that pop. So then Dean Ambrose comes out to face Braun Strowman, which seemed weird to me. I was very shocked when I heard his music hit and yeah. saw him coming down the, the ramp. Hey, Dean, you're in a tag team. Hey, Dean, Dean, you're in a tag team. You, you don't need to go face the biggest badass on the roster right now. I mean, that was my initial thing. Like, why Why is he getting involved in this? And then later we would see where Seth's involving himself. Well, that was the next thing I wanted to bring up is now next week, Seth is going to be facing Braun. I'm not sure I like that match in any way, shape, or form. I guess I can, I'll, I'll give you a reason for why in their logic, they're trying to kill some time because that tag division is decimated. So how, how about you worry about fixing that problem and staying focused on a division that was starting to grow a little bit and pick up some steam? Well, the Revival being injured doesn't help. The Hardys being injured doesn't help. Now, the bar, we're not completely sure when Sheamus is Cesaro is going to be able to return to action. God, are there any other tag teams on Raw? Who are who are we forgetting? I don't care who you got on Raw. You got an NXT. You got SmackDown. You got teams sitting around doing nothing. Oh, Rhino and Heath Slater, they're on Raw. I'm trying to think of other tag teams even on the Raw roster right now. Like the entire tag division's hurt. 
You got Gallows and Anderson. Oh yeah, Gallows and Anderson. I mean, I guess that's the logical feud to go to now for the Shield. Well, um, yeah, what, I was going to save this comment for for later when we get to this main event here. You know, we're talking about the Mistrials being built up. They're not ready for a program like this. If WWE had any balls at all, the program going forward right now would be an updated version of the club with Balor, Gallows, and Anderson, put them against the shield going forward for the remainder of the year. You want to talk about hot when you're in a slow season? You want to get people talking about your product, get people excited? That's the feud that gets you going. I think the feud that gets you going is you just keep going with Braun Strowman. Every week, I want to see Braun Strowman come walking out to the ring and just be destroying people. He should destroy Seth Rollins next week. What's my problem with this match here tonight? Where did Ambrose go with him? Almost eight and a half, nine minutes? Yeah. A beat-up Ambrose against Braun Strowman, who basically got knocked out with one move from Brock Lesnar. And he's hanging right in there with him. And they're going to do the same thing with Seth next week. But the story I would tell, I would make Braun such a monster that he's coming out every week and destroying two, three guys. Dean can't get it done. Seth can't get it done. We know Roman can't get it done. And it takes the shield to get back together just to take down Braun. That's the story I would tell right now. I think next week the save face of having to go that route with a match, letting Rollins be competitive in there. I'd have Braun just waste him before the match even Jump him backstage. Beat the shit then out dra- of him. Then drag him to the ring. Excuse me. Drag him to the ring. Beat him senseless. And say, you know what? I ain't got time for this shit. I'm continuing on my path to destruction. Yep. And then the next week, he takes out both Ambrose and Rollins. And then, hell, have him take out... All three of the S.H.I.E.L.D. members. Keep going with Braun. People love the guy. Go with it. You're creating a star. Go with it. Don't cool him down. Go with it. Now, would you would you be cool with no one is safe? Just let him bury the whole roster? Bury them all. I would put... Miz, just Miz and the Mishtaraja are there laughing that the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. members got beat up and he just... And then Braun takes them out, too. And have Braun basically say, I'm going to keep doing this until I get my hands on Lesnar again. That's the story you tell. Go with it. Yeah, but you've got a lot of filler before we're supposed to see him. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Lesnar, it looks like, at least it was teased, that Balor is going to go after Brock. That's a terrible idea. Not on my radar, and I took this nothing more than a tease to get a pop out of the Baylor fans. Of then, of course, as you mentioned earlier, we had Baylor versus Goldust. Match is not worth commenting on. But at the end of it, we get the Bray Wyatt vignette montage thing. It doesn't go anywhere. There's no promo or anything. You just get the Bray Wyatt montage. So it looks like we're going to stick with Balor and Wyatt in this never-ending holding pattern where we don't know what else to do with either guy. 
Per live reports, Balor once again, pop of the night. Two segments to go on Raw, as far as I was concerned. This was not a memorable show to me. Alexa and Mickey James. Rick, I know you got some thoughts on this segment, as do I. Well, you, you referred a little bit more on this one than I was. Why don't you go ahead and kick it off? I, I didn't have as, as much of an issue at the, at the time. I, I know you were burned a little bit more, so I'll let you begin here. Well, there's a couple of things that I just, number one, I didn't think needed to be in the promo. Number one, Mickey James comes out and she's crying that she wasn't in the match. Alexa hasn't beat her. Well, Mickey, when's the last time you won a goddamn match? Because I can't remember. Now, I know, you know, it's Monday Night Raw and we just throw people into title programs for no apparent reason. But maybe you should go win a match or two. Maybe even be on TV. It's I, I almost forgot she was even on the goddamn roster. I did not appreciate uh, Alexa's hip comment referring to Mickey as an old lady. That was a terrible idea. Uh, just so you know. Uh, old lady Mickey is 38 years old. 38. Shayna Baszler, 37. Mercedes Martinez, 36. Asuka, 36. Don't bring that into the narrative. It's a never-ending hole that you'll never get out of. Brock Lesnar is 40. John Cena's 40. Well, it's, you know, it's just it's just another it's low brow booking. It's an easy thing to try to draw some heat when you pull when, when you're mocking someone's age, and you're, and you're neglecting that you know between just between Mercedes and Oscar, two of the finest women performers in all the world. You're hyping up bringing in Oscar. Are up there in age. You're, you're you're hyping up bringing them in, and now you're gonna shit all over them. Just. <laughs> doesn't make any sense who thought that was a good idea and then you have the itty bitty titty comment hey we're trying to run a women's division here not a itty bitty titty club god damn would they say that about any of the male superstars i mean you want to go off on your women's revolution shit you should be freaking out about this promo we had a lot of it with the top guys leading up to leading up to the, the no mercy. They're getting them cheap pops. It's been, they feel like they got to get a cheap pop every time they throw in a Kevin Owens fat joke. It's incredibly low brow humor that is just not going anywhere. Yeah, you get that oh moment out of the stupid idiot fans that are there that chant this is awesome at a tree branch and a grasshopper going at it. I do want to point out, take note, all your Alexa Bliss fanboys, take note, Mickey James is what a real woman looks like, and damn, it is time to bring hardcore country, bring that look into the WWE ring, man, she looked good. Mickey looks great, that's why pointing out her age is such a terrible idea. Just stupidity, terrible writing, terrible writing. There was a lot of really bad dialogue on this show. 
front to back from the commentary, the talent. I don't know who's writing this shit, but they need to be fired. Speaking of fired, Enzo and the cruiserweights. What did you think of this entire segment? Putting Enzo in the quote unquote main event spot. I'm under the assumption that Enzo turned heel. Are, are you working under that assumption as well? I was working on an assumption at no mercy when he just hauled off. I mean, when you and kick a guy in the point. dick, that that's pretty much turning heel in my eyes. Yeah, pretty much when he when he just hauled off and punted Neville, that was a that was a definite heel turn in my eyes. And then he just came out to hammer it home here. Even throughout the entire night, the cocky attitude that he had was even more so than what we've become accustomed to with him. And he took he really took it to that next scumbag level. Now about the segment going off in the close, I was I was pleasantly surprised that I stayed up for this segment, but I had no expectations going in. You know, it was one of those, man, they are just writing off this third hour right now. How many people are gonna tune in for this? And apparently not many stuck around from it from the numbers that, that we shared earlier. Yeah, obviously a half a million people tuned out. But to give them credit, it put some serious heat on the division and the 205 Live program. I will say, last night is the first night I've ever watched a minute of 205 Live. And that was only because I wanted to see the, the follow-up with Enzo and the opening promo. Well, I, I brought it up in the WrestleZone discussion group over on Facebook in our live discussion. This, you know, what happened at the close of Raw going into Tuesday night had to make 205 Live, this week's 205, the most anticipated program in that show's history. The burial of Enzo Amore continues. In this week's edition of What's the Worst Thing We Can Think Of to Do to Enzo, after Raw goes off the air, Braun Strowman comes out and gets him some Enzo. Love that. They should do that every week. That should be every week's dark match from now until eternity. Enzo versus Braun. And then the hey, entire I, cruiserweight division beats up Enzo. I'll, I'll give it to Enzo. And he, he takes that ass whooping like a champ, though. Man, he sells an ass whipping. And he got that. He got a good pop there. And for a you know for a dark match or that dark segment to send everyone home happy, man, it picked up some steam, didn't it? Went viral fast, and people were buzzing about it. I did enjoy on the two hundred five live promo, Enzo announcing that he is going to retire cruiserweight champion because there was the clause that nobody could lay a hand on him, and the entire division did. Cracked me up pretty good. So now the question is, what, where do they go from here? Do you go back to Neville versus Enzo? Do you bring somebody in from NXT? Like what I would, I would use this opportunity to bring up Hideo Itami. That's what I would do. Have Hideo show up and be like, I ain't punched you in the mouth yet. I want a title shot. I think that's the route that they should go with this. There's quite a few guys, big names, great talents down there that are available, but that fit in the category of the 205. Personally, I, I want to see Neville move on. 
Yeah, I want to see Neville move on too. You know what? We talked last week about how I listen to Raw through headphones. Neville cuts a really good promo for a gentleman with an accent. Well, go on. You know, stepping back a bit to this pro, you know, when he came up to confront Enzo on Monday, you know, Enzo was good, but I thought Neville owned the segment. Did Neville now, turn babyface to you, or is Neville still a heel? At this point, I'm operating under the assumption that he is just still Neville. And the point there with the hammer home, how much good guy, bad guy, in between how much we all should just dislike Enzo right now at this point. I think it's spreading because there were thank you Neville chants and then thank you Strowman chants. I think the burial of Enzo Amore and the burial of 205 Live is almost complete. What I would I would book it is let's get some some extra heat here on Enzo. Really build up where they're going with him. I'd have him survive a loser leaves 205 match with Neville possibly by next week. I like that. Loser leaves 205. I like that. But it, but he he survived and he sticks around through some dastardly dastardly antics. So I like to call this market watch. Uh, what I'm going to do here, I'm going to give you a list of talents, and I want you to tell me if you think their stock has went up or went down since uh, the pay per view the other night. All right, let's get here, man. Jason Jordan's stock, up or down? I want everyone to know here that we are shooting at the hip here because on the run sheet, I had no idea what the hell market watch meant. Aha, uh-huh. see? I can trick you every once in a while still. Jason Jordan. Stock up down. or stock down? Stock down right now. I wouldn't sell, but I'd keep an eye on it. Because it's, it's not looking it's not looking so promising. I think they missed a huge opportunity for the universe to connect with him on a true emotional level. And he seems to be fading quite a bit. The bar as a tag team. That stock is, is skyrocketing. Your tag team, you work together. It was already great. It was already growing. It was hot. Now it's through the roof after we see just how damn tough Cesaro is. You know, and and Seamus is nothing to, to bat your eye out anyway. So. Dean Ambrose. Personally, I'm going to say it's a bit down. That's more so of the booking. I don't understand why the hell he was getting involved there. I wasn't a fan of him making jokes a little bit after getting his ass beat. Seth Rollins. I'm just going to kind of loop, lump those guys together. I'm just going to say they're remaining steady on the market right now. I, I want to see where this is going next week and how they're going to pull together this tag division that. That is just decimated by, by injury. Nia Jax. I would have sold this shit a long time ago. I think it's almost so much at the bottom, it can't get any lower. 
I thought she looked really good the other night. I thought she looked really good the other night. Sasha Banks. They keep toying with us here with, with what they're actually, what, what is the boss now? What attitude does she have? Where is this, where's her friendship and her relationship with Bailey going? I'm going to say that this stock is dropping. Bailey. Back from injury and still lost. The character isn't there. We need something to turn this around here. I'm going to say she, she's, she's dropping as well. Roman Reigns. All this over-promotion that we're seeing, and, and they've always, you know, we've always heard things shut down our throat, shut down our throat. But yeah, it, it, it's just really getting bad at this point. And he's being run out there with, with some talent that I'm just, just outshining him in every aspect. I'm just worried, you know, he's still getting that reaction, but how long until people just, just grow tired of, of everything that's happening with him and they just stop caring? But I'm sounding really negative there in this, but I'm just saying this is dropping as well. Okay, let's turn things around and get a little bit positive. Braun Strowman. He's got, he's got he is arguably getting the biggest reaction, positive reaction. People are loving what he's doing. Even in defeat, he got that rub from Brock Lesnar pretty much twice because he got, you know, that match, the multi-man match at SummerSlam. Ron came out looking like a, a bonafide superstar there. Same thing coming out of No Mercy, even in defeat, skyrocketing. And finally, Brock Lesnar. Might be hard for some people to hear. They hate they hate the fact makes brief appearances and takes off. But he says survived some big time matches, solid outing for Lesnar standards. I said the soccer driving right now. That's the build him up so eventually. Although we we all know it's gonna be Roman, whenever someone goes over him. It should mean something storyline-wise. Any other news, notes, comments that you wanted to make about Monday Night Raw? I think we covered it all, man. I'm ready to shift gears and kick it over Tuesday. Let's move over to the blue brand. We're about 10 days out from Hell in a Cell, the show that's going to frame the next six months for SmackDown Live. What did you think of SmackDown Live this week? One to ten. One to ten. I might have a lot of change left over here because I'm only going to go within like a... I'll give a three to a four. This is... along some things. I, I don't think they had the right direction. But, you know, once again, just, just really missing that mark. This was one of those shows that was just a throwaway episode to me. I mean, we're, we're 10 days out from Hell in a Cell, and it's a throwaway episode. 
there was nothing worth talking about on this show. I mean, you've got you got Sami Zayn versus Kevin Owens take nine hundred. Oh yeah, right when I saw this coming out, it was first thing that popped in my head. How many times have we seen this match? Oh, you know, thinking Cena versus Orton, most played out match. Well, here comes Sammy and KO. They're saying, hold our beers. Yeah, and it's a good match. Don't get me wrong, it's a good match, but it's like the only time Sami Zayn is relevant is when he's in the ring with Kevin Owens. And it, do something with Sami Zayn. For God's sake, turn him heel and put him with Owens. I'm fine well, with when that. When Sammy's music hit, and he came out there in that opening segment, and it was hardly reaction. Just deflating. So what's that sense of, ah. Oh, I, I almost get the feeling that Sami Zayn is turning into the new Dolph Ziggler. There was a time when everybody was behind Ziggler and everybody was screaming to push Ziggler, push Ziggler. And they waited and waited and waited until the point when they did, nobody cared anymore. I think Sami Zayn is getting into that dangerous kind of territory. Oh, I think, I think he's been there. You know, he's just a placeholder at this point. We'll, we'll eventually find somewhere to push him in a filler role. And I'm okay with that because that's all I really think that Sami Zayn is. And it's not a knock. The guy's going to have a job with him for a long, long time. Great talent. This is nothing screams over top superstar to me. To me, the only other angle worth talking about other than Shane and Owens, which we'll, we'll save here for just a second, was the we finally got Bobby Roode confronting Dolph Ziggler. Uh, what did you think of the Ziggler Undertaker entrance first? Lame as fuck. But if you're going to go this route, kind of what irritated me a little bit here on this, the announce team was so bad during it. They oversold it so much that you knew it was an Undertaker. I will say. And they had Phillips doing it. I would have had. It should have been Saxton. Yeah, he's your he's your he's your gullible idiot of the group, and then you then you have Graves lay into him like immediately. Like, come on, really? I I didn't and, necessarily pop for it, but when I heard the gong, immediately my eyes went to the TV. By the time the second gong hit, I knew it was Ziggler, but the gong still has that effect. As soon as I hear that first bell, I didn't even, I didn't even budge. Going into the show, I knew tonight would be the night that he did his Undertaker shit. I was so happy to see Bobby Roode finally come out. So now it looks like we're going to get Ziggler and Roode, which we've been predicting for weeks now. Oh yeah, I mean this whole thing was a build. Just to remind us that Dolph Ziggler can be relevant so that he could be feeder for Bobby Roode. The, and in all honesty, I am looking forward to this match. Even if you know they get a solid 10 minutes, these guys will put on a great match. Oh, it'll be a fantastic match. I have no doubt about that. Now, in, in booking how this played out, I think I might have held Roode off until the night of Hell in a Cell. Really? 
I think I would have. Because, I mean, and the I obvious thing is Dolph Ziggler is going to do Bobby Roode's entrance Tuesday on SmackDown. That's the obvious thing to happen. I would hold off on that. I would have gone for a big pop at my pay-per-view, and I would have gone with an over-the-top glorious entrance. Oh, you know what I want to see Tuesday on SmackDown? I want to see Bobby Roode do Dolph Ziggler's entrance. That'd be fucking money. Man, Rude looked like he's lost a lot of thinned out a lot. Rude looks great. That's the best shape I've ever seen Bobby Roode in. I think he looks freaking great. I thought he looked better a couple weeks ago. Really? Maybe I need to go back and look at him again. Speaking of putting on some weight, it was announced uh, earlier this week Mike and Maria Canellis are pregnant. Congratulations to the happy couple. And. Thank you for being on WWE TV for about three weeks because I'm pretty sure it's over. This whole thing, I, I could see, I could see Mike just being sent home. Yep. There really is no appeal without. without they Maria. they signed Maria and Mike was along for the ride. No Maria, no Mike. That angle's dead, gone. Possibly could have hung around uh, for house shows, things like that. If he didn't already have that heat, heat on him or reported heat for coming in out of shape. But at this point, I, they probably have other options, people they can bring up the tour, work dark matches. So, of course, the big angle has nothing to do with the world championship. The big angle. But we're not going to talk about the world championship? No, there's nothing worth talking about. I, I had one note on it, then I'll share. Okay, because I, I got nothing. I thought it was worthless. I mean, th- th- just another throwaway like- segment. Cringeworthy jokes. They have lost direction with gender, and they never had it with Nakamura. To me, if you want to fix Gender Mahal, I can make it real easy. Turn Gender Mahal into Ted DiBiase in the AWA. Give him that character, and you fix Gender Mahal. How do you fix Shinsuke Nakamura? is you have him kick the shit out of Jinder Mahal in about 10 seconds. That's that's the only solution. That, that's what I was really hoping for. You know, last night that he'd come out, just one kick would just drop Jinder to his knee, just completely knock that wind out of him. I find it then absolutely that- absurd that the entire roster now is talking about Kevin Owens versus Shane McMahon but nobody is talking about the world championship other than Jinder Mahal and Shinsuke Nakamura. It makes no sense to me. No sense. Quite a letdown. I mean, to me, the Rusev segment was better than Jinder Mahal and Nakamura. I mean, I didn't even know I needed Rusev Day, but I need Rusev Day more than I need Jinder Mahal and Shinsuke Nakamura. And that makes me sick to say that I don't need Shinsuke Nakamura in my life. I just don't care about this program. Just put the belt on Shinsuke, maybe I'll care again. Pretty well said. So, Owens and Shane week, however long this has been going on. Do you think they built to the match? Are you happy with the build to the match? Well, obviously, this thing peaked when Owens hit Vince. Yeah, I mean, this week it felt really lukewarm to me. Like just something was missing in the program this week. I would have I would have liked to see, 
15 there last week, they, they, they handled it right. They kept them apart. They didn't have KO there. For better or worse, they each got to get their words across to one another. I would have liked a little more physical teaser this week. Something let me know that it's going gonna, it's gonna to really break down between the two of them instead of just kind of running Sammy out there as that sacrificial lamb. Yeah, it just felt like a filler week. Everything about it just felt like a filler week. Just fill in TV time, giving you more content. That's what you people want, right? More content. Probably sum up the title of this week's episode is Running in Quicksand. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much where they're at. I'm very interested to see what they do next week on SmackDown for the Go Home Show because right now, well, I guess it moves it into our next segment. This is hit or miss. We're going to, I'm going to do hit or miss here with the Hell in a Cell card. I want you to tell me if you're looking forward to these matches or if you're just, meh, don't care. Let's start with the obvious, Jinder and Nakamura. Is it a hit or is it a miss? Well, I'm just going to go back to what I just previously said here. It really had no direction. They, they lost what they were doing with gender. They've never had anything with Nakamura. This has just been bad. Now, this isn't just a miss. I mean, you're not even in the ballpark. You're not even in the city, the state. This is nowhere near where it needs to be. And it's, it's really disappointing. It's probably some of their worst work in recent memory. I'm with you. I think it's a complete miss. I should be excited about Shinsuke Nakamura winning the WWE Championship, and I just, at this point, I don't care. Shane and Owens is going to be the main event on the show, not the championship match. Shane and Owens, is is, uh, is it a hit for you at this point, or is it a miss? I'm going with the push. I think that's the fair. High, the highs have been The highs have been there. I haven't really felt the bottom out at any time. It's gone stagnant, but I am still intrigued enough to see what that final selling point is on the go-home show next week. I am terrified of this match because I, you know Shane's going to do some big crazy stunt, and what can be done that hasn't been done without Shane killing himself? I'm, I'm not a Shane McMahon fan. And I wasn't particularly of a, of a fan of this match when it was announced, simply because it always comes off that way, that they're doing, they're doing this just so Shane can get that just useless spot in that he doesn't need to be doing anymore. He's already cemented a legacy here in this, in this industry. Just let it go at this point. Usos in New Day, hell in a cell. Hit or miss. Usos in New Day. Let me find it here. I can't believe they're going to do it Hell in a Cell, first of all. Oh. That's, that's what I had here. Myth, myth, myth. You know, continually slapping gimmicks on a feud. To me, that's a surefire sign that it's over. It's time to move on. And that's what they're doing here. Natty and Charlotte hit or miss. You were talking about my Char Char. I know, but man, I, I, I don't. I'm going with a hit here. 
simply because this feud, I feel it's just getting going, and they do have some history that they can revisit and work with. So I'm letting it hit right now because it's just getting rolling, I believe. I'm going with a miss for all the same exact reasons that you said. They have all this potential to show all this history. They haven't done anything with it. I'm going to give them credit that they can focus on that after this. Because right now, so much of the attention, as we look down this undercard, it's pretty much all filler for the Shane Owens telling himself. Short of Shane McMahon dying in the ring, I think Charlotte and Natty is going to steal that show. Styles and Corbin, hit or miss. To this point, I'm going with the miss because I feel it's just it's just a filler program. I think there's still a potential that we end up with Styles, Corbin, Dillinger, triple threat. That would interest me quite a bit more, simply because I know the match quality will improve drastically. I think that's how they get the title off of Styles without Styles being pinned for it. See, to me. I think you got to protect AJ in that booking. He needs to keep that title right now. I think he needs to keep the title too. I, I'm very much on board with you on that one. But I think I, if they want to get the title off of AJ, this is how they're going to do it. What you've got going on, where your top title, the WWE Championship, Robo, that's way down the line now and what is interesting people. Rude and Ziggler hit or miss. I'm going with the hit here. I, I wish this entire thing would have been booked a little differently. I get where they're coming from with it. But I'm, I'm especially going with the hit. I'm, look, I'm really looking forward to this match. Yeah, I'm going to go with a, a very, very slight hit because I am looking forward to the match because I think the match is going to be fantastic. I think it's been a mess as far as the build goes, though. It's maybe not so much that the... Their idea behind where they're going with this, I mean, it's so obvious that they're talking about the grand entrances and all that stuff. Let's think they went overboard with it. Orton and Rusev, hit or miss? I'm going with the hit here. I think it's been a fairly entertaining undercard program that hasn't become an annoyance. And these, these two seem to have some good chemistry together. And I don't know if there's anyone going today that can sell that RKO like Rusev. I'm going with a hit as long as Rusev wins this program. If Orton wins this program, I think it's a huge miss. I would I would agree there. You know, this is something that Rusev really needs to get back on track. And Randy's so established. He's so beloved. You know, as you pointed out, when he went to the live event, it was damn surprising to you. I mean, how much people were into Randy Orton? I still can't believe how much people like Randy Orton. That just, especially in the Midwest, it just floors me how big of a star Orton is. Or just neglect that they're actually happening out there. Because we're in this small bubble of the internet wrestling community where we think our way is, you know, the right way. But we are a small minority. And Randy is over big time. He doesn't need this in any way. This would be a great rub to get Rusev back on track. We're going to take a quick break. Burn one if you got one. Maybe play a song for you. Maybe I'll split it into two parts. I really don't know. 
But we'll be right back after this with some uh, Evolve talk, some Bullet Club talk, some New Japan talk, a little bit of hype for Ultima Lucha Trace, and then a fascinating conversation about merchandise numbers thanks to Jersey Mike. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Rick. Just read something kind of humorous. Oh, yeah? Uh, as you know, we've got the Bobby Heenan, uh, the Heenan Family Classic tournament going on over at the WrestleZone Discussion Group. And one of our first-round matchups that will be available, will be open for voting tonight, is Rick Flair versus Andre the Giant in a first-round matchup. Evan Lopez writes, 
with Flair versus Andre, everyone should definitely vote Flair. Andre was just was very special, but a flash in the pan kind of guy. A flash in the pan? Evan, you know better. Now, now this is another one of those tournaments. We we've done these before. Uh, this is one of those tournaments where everything is entirely in kayfabe, correct? That is correct. And particularly in this one, we're encouraging individuals to judge the talent at the peak of the time when they were under the umbrella of the Heenan family. So for you're talking essentially WrestleMania three era Andre. And early 90s. 1990, 91 flair? 91, or 91, 92. 91, I guess would be. We're talking about the guy that that won the Rumble. Fair to flair. The fair to flair era. For, for the title, it went on to co-main event at WrestleMania, taking on arguably the name that made Hawkamania at WrestleMania. That's an interesting matchup. That's an interesting matchup. I think Flair goes over. I think Flair goes over Andre on that one. Thanks to interference from Mr. Perfect and hmm. Hmm. Well, let's, let's see here. You know, they've got their, their, their hands full themselves. Just to run down these first round matchups, we got some interesting ones. Already out of the gate, that's up for voting. The Battle of the Brainbusters. Arn Anderson is taking on Tully Blanchard as we're speaking. Coming out later this evening, Ric Flair versus Andre the Giant. Then throughout the remainder of the week, we'll have Austin Idol against Mr. Perfect, Adrian Adonis versus Rick Rude, mm. Stan Hansen versus Jimmy Valent. King Kong Bundy versus Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Nice. I, I know a personal favorite of yours in this thing. In our seventh match would be Nick Bockwinkle taking on Big John Stud. Bockwinkle for the win. And then closing out our first round would be the Battle of the King. King Harley Race versus King Haku. Ooh. Uh, you know, that itself would be a hell of those guys are, now, are very respected of, of two of the toughest sons of bitches to ever step inside the ring. I completely agree, but I'm thinking of the Bobby the Brain Heenan era of Haku. And I think most of my really fond memories of Haku are without Bobby the Brain. Hmm. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. And Race kind of stepped back a little bit too. You know when he came to WWF. Yeah, you're 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 not talking the prime of Harley Race in any way, shape, or form. And and we do have history to rely on because that actually did happen, and Haku went over. That's true. That's true. The rematch. That's a good one. That's a good one. Anything else you want to plug, push, put over at this time before we jump into segment two here? I was just going to say, if anybody wants to check this out, hop on Facebook, head on over to the WrestleZone discussion group, give us a join, 
Keep your eye out for all of our fun little interactive tournaments, such as the Heenan Family Classic. We also have our Russell's Zone Discussion Group Pick'em Challenge. The next event for that will be uh, in just a couple of weeks with SmackDown brands Hell in a Cell. Essentially, all you do there, you're picking the winners. You're ranking each match by how confident you are in the outcome. We've got some fun bonus questions. We're up to about 50 regular participants in it. We've got side matches going on. It's a lot of fun. It's one of our most interactive threads that we got going. And of course, for every every WWE event, Acer's got his live discussion threads. That and lots more fun with all of our friends over at the Facebook WrestleZone discussion group. Lots of fun talking smack with those guys. Lots of fun. Speaking of WrestleZone, they uh, put this story out. So we jump into segment two here. Uh, regarding Evolve, uh, and an email that was leaked uh, from Gabe Sapolsky to the talent down there. Uh, did you have a chance to read over this, Rick? I, I did. Uh, I, I believe it, I actually turned you on to this story. <laughs> oh, that's right. Maybe that was you. That probably I was, was you. I, I, was, <clears throat> I, found, I found it very interesting, a lot that was going on in the letter. Uh, absolutely fascinating read. Um, I think I'm just going to read this in its entirety for those that didn't have a chance to find it. Uh, this is an important email, so please read it through. We are about to enter a transition period. I want to use this weekend to prepare for that. A major part of this will be in-ring work. You are all awesome, obviously, or you wouldn't be booked. However, I want to change some things you do in Evolve to make Evolve different and also prepare for what's next. Uh, he says many times in this email, I will explain more in person. But this weekend, please concentrate on these things. And these things I thought were fascinating. Make every lockup on the show count. And then he proceeds to tell a story about William Regal being backstage at BOLA. And he said that he saw very, very few good-looking lockups. This is something I've been noticing on the main roster. Is is this something that stands out to you as you're watching a show, Rick? Yeah, this goes back to a comment that I made at the very beginning of this episode. Well, we've lost an art of just that fine storytelling and fundamentals going on between those ropes or from bell to bell. It all starts right there. And that's that's where you engage everyone is when you engage yourself. Not just seems to be, you know, it's just so overlooked. We have to hurry up and get on with our video game era and start getting to our spots and making sure that we're revving it up so that we can get everything in. Well, they're neglecting just the, the simple basics. And Gabe even says in the email here, it's about starting your matchup with believability. Please put on emphasis on lockups where you fight for position rather than go into a spot. I couldn't agree more. You got to make me believe it from the second that you lock up. This goes back to Cena and Roman. Cena was laughing and joking around and happy-go-lucky Cena. Make me believe that you are going to fight. You will bring a more serious base and sense of respect back to this industry. If we, the fans, believe this is a fight, call me old school, 
Call me a dinosaur. Call me dated. I want to believe. I want, in my mind, when I'm tuning out and I'm buying into this, the competitors in this ring, they want to destroy one another. It might be because of a personal feud. They're just trying to move up in this business, but they want to take the other one out through their superiority. But all I feel now is that we're getting a floor show. And that's, that's not what I came up with. That's not what has made professional wrestling great. Don't look into the floor camera at any time. This is a Vince slash WWE thing. I really don't care if you look into the camera or not, but this is a habit that you will have to break as soon as you go to NXT. So you might as well break it now. And again, I can explain more in person. It's a huge thing there, so don't discount this. Now, obviously, the purpose of this is because they don't want you breaking the fourth wall. And yet they're writing all of their promos around the idea of breaking the fourth wall. Well, this also goes back to where their, where their announcers, how they position themselves backstage in WWE. Everything is done strategically. That's something that I think that we take for granted as we watch the WWE product. They have things like this in place, but then it's so irritating when they just feel the blatant need to pander to a minority of smarks, but they're breaking down, but they're obvious breaking down to the fourth wall. People wonder why people like Shinsuke Nakamura go to NXT. This is why they go to NXT. Make well, every... One of the stuff that we've seen, that we've already mentioned here, and I know we're going to hear some more of it as you go down here, that, that we complain about seeing on the main roster, I mean, I would bet anything that there's so many people that when they watch us at the Performance Center, your trainers, staff down there, that they're kicking themselves in the ass, like, what the hell are they doing up there? They have to be. They have to be. And the one that baffles me are the people that go through NXT and then adapt to the main roster style. It's like, what the hell's the point of NXT if you're going to do it differently here than you do up there? Right. Right, digress. Go, go on with some of the points here. Make every kick, strike, and chop count. I mean, don't go in there and beat each other up. Just don't waste your kicks, strikes, chops, and sell it. Uh, this is a huge pet peeve of mine. Uh, And especially in the women's division, it really stood out to me watching that five-way on the pay-per-view the other night. You gotta, if you can't sell a kick or a punch, how in the hell are you going to sell anything else? It's the very basics. And we see that quite a bit from, in the women's division, one one of the guys that drives me freaking crazy on this is Ambrose. Ambrose is terrible about it. And beyond terrible. Don't do cool stuff for the sake of cool stuff. Everything should be about winning the match. I'm not saying don't do cool stuff, but just don't do it just to do it. Yeah, so it should have a meaning behind it. This is the psychology that we talk about when we watch some of these matches and people are like, oh, that match was great. And I'm like, no, that match was garbage because it just didn't make any sense inside of the psychology of what you would do in a fight. 
and I think I've changed my, my base of my approach in discussing this with individuals. Uh, I don't use the term arguing. When I'm trying to discuss this issue with individuals, I can let them know, you know, that's great that you were entertained by this. If that turns you on, that moved you, that's awesome. But let me tell you why it didn't do that for me and why it shouldn't do that for you. Expect more of this. Expect a deeper telling of the story. Just don't expect the run-of-the-mill lowest combinator booking just to get a point across. Expect a damn good story out of it. Don't Expect embrace more. their mediocrity. Demand better. Just like you would do out of any other television show. What else we got? Challenge yourself to break your normal routine of spots. I don't care what the match rating you get is on Twitter. This is small picture stuff. I want everyone to think big picture and long game. This is one of the biggest complaints I have about guys like Seth Rollins. I love Seth Rollins as a performer, but his ROH stuff is Tyler Black versus what he's doing as Seth Rollins now. As Matt Hardy would say, he's turned into a spot monkey. It's always the same sequences. It's like cut and paste. I could do this in final cut. Every match is the same. I wonder if they just redubbed commentary at certain times and just replayed matches if they if people would even completely notice. Uh, also, just inside the email, um, and I'm sure this is very, very similar with WWE, please remember the evolved rules when it comes to no swearing. Thank you, Roman Reigns. Nothing derogatory towards minorities, women, ethnicities, or any other groups. Thank you, Jinder Mahal. No pile drivers, neck bumps, apron spots, anything that drops you on your head. Thank you, Kevin Owens. Nothing hardcore without permission. No unprotected headbutts. Thank you, Jack Gallagher. No mic work without permission. Thanks, Miz. Be super nice to kids. Thanks, Miz. And then some other personal stuff that doesn't necessarily need to be divulged. If you want to find it, you can go find the article yourself. Is it just that it's different on the indie scene versus what it is on the main roster? Because all these rules are broken on a regular basis. The one that kills me is no neck bumps. Jesus Christ, when I watch an Evolve match, I see 15 to 20 neck bumps in every goddamn match. Well, that's, I don't know if that was actually a mandate before, or one that was strictly enforced, but you know, now they definitely want to reinforce that. You know, everything that he's, he's laid out there, if you simply follow those, and get back to some traditional storytelling, it's going to drastically improve your product. I completely agree. I, I almost It's feel basic stuff. The fact that they even have to send an email like this is ridiculous. I mean, it's well, basic it's stuff, true. but we're so far away from the basics at this point. It's almost as if Gabe went up on Mount Sinai and received these from the burning bush and came back with them inscribed on tablets. These, these should be like the commandments of wrestling. 
I'm very, very happy to hear that Gabe is doing well backstage at NXT. I think he's a great mind to have around down there. And I could see we're reading some of these, that these new mandates could rub some of his talents the wrong way. If, if, me personally, I would be excited. It shows real opportunity for Evolve and the WWN for those talents to be able to have an opportunity to move into WWE and, you know, like it or not, that is the overwhelmingly ultimate goal for any talent in this industry. Speaking of WWN, some people may be wondering why we're not commenting on the Flow Slam WWN lawsuit. That is simply because I'm waiting for more information to become available. There's a lot going on there. Fascinating story to follow. Stay tuned, kids. So going back to Raw, there was another angle that some people saw and most people didn't. Bullet Club. The Bullet Club invaded Monday Night Raw. Did you have a chance to watch the new episode of Being the Elite? I did. I, I, I'm most certain that I have an opportunity to watch it. Come on, man. It's one of my weekly joy. This episode's fantastic. What got me was some people, because this hit the internet like wildfire. This was going crazy. Everyone was buzzing. The Bullet Club is at Monday Night Raw. What I found hilarious was the people that thought that they were actually going to appear on camera in some sort of way. But now, I couldn't tell when I was watching the episode of Being the Elite. It's so hard to tell what's real and what's not when you're watching that show. Did they seriously just drive into the employee parking area? I'm just going to assume that everything is a work. Well, I mean, because I, I could see where a right. big pimp-ass limo like that pulls up and they just let him in. Yeah, and then you've got a... Uh... But I couldn't tell that if that was legit like or not. Talent, or was it just a strategically placed sign there? I, I'm going to go with it was a work, but still quite entertaining. Unfortunately, in looking a bit more into this story, it sounds like what really happened was the Bullet Club rolled up to the building about two hours before the show doors even opened. So, you know, the only people that are going to be there are the biggest marks in the area. Because it's like the back entrance where all the talent goes in. Oh, yeah. No, sir. They were there for about 10, 15 minutes, shot their shit, got in the limo and left. But, man, when you watch the video, it looks like it was a big deal, doesn't it? It, it, it had it had a cool vibe to it, but knowing that that we had all those individuals there two hours beforehand, I don't want to just flat out call anyone a loser because I personally know some people that that enjoy doing that, going and having their pictures taken and seeing them, if they're while they're yelling at the talent that they'll acknowledge them and all that. But come on, people, get a life. Go hit up a happy hour beforehand. Live your own life and then just then go to the show and enjoy it. It's just another example of the Young Bucks playing the marks. That's really all it was. And they did it masterfully. I thought one of the cool moments in there 
one of the lines from the Bucks where he, they were handing out the T-shirts, which I have no doubt in my mind that there was no way there were that many people there actually in Bullet Club gear. They they were they were hucking at that merchandise beforehand. The live reports, the live reports I have heard was there was more Bullet Club shirts in the crowd than anything the other night. And I'm that wasn't all because of the young bucks just throwing out a half a dozen know. shirts. I'm not saying they were. Th- I, I thought it was funny when they were throwing them out. What we didn't see was them selling those sons of bitches beforehand. Oh, they probably walked out of there with fistfuls of cash. Well, and the whole thing was they were at the hot topic, uh, doing a signing, uh, promoting. Yeah, I forgot about that too. So they could have easily transitioned everyone to come with us. Right. That's very much what happened, especially once the word got out on the internet. My question is, did this miss the mark a little bit? I mean, it's cool. The video is cool. But don't you kind of wish it was a bigger deal? Well, from some of the reports, it seemed that things that didn't make the cut for the episode were much more entertaining. And I'm not going to argue or try to deny. I was entertained by, by what I saw, as I always am, with those episodes. I uh, Did you read anything into the homage yeah. to Daniel Bryan? I, I briefly saw on it, and kind of what I was reading, what I took away, you know, sometimes it's just best to play it safe. I mean, there's over-the-top shit I want to say and do every day especially on social media, but it's just not best for business. And and you have to watch that sometimes. I can't believe they did it. I thought they'd do it at Starcade, but they busted it out already. I can't believe they did it. I did enjoy them yelling for Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson, Finn Balor, your friends are here. We're coming to rescue you. That was fantastic. I, I thought it was. I, I think the best was just a brief clip where they had the chant going on, just requesting that they they give Cody his last name back. <laughs> if you're not watching Being the Elite, you are missing out. Would have been better if Kenny would have been there too. We'll talk about Kenny here in just a couple minutes. Hold uh, on, hold on. Speculation, speculation time. Who who was in the trunk? Who's the mole? Who's the WWE stooge? Yeah. Oh, boy. I'm going to go with, I love the guy, but he, he I think he's the one. I'm going to go with Sean Waltman. Oh, nice playing because he just made a recent appearance. Yep, he just made a recent appearance. He's Road Dog's boy. He doesn't technically work for the WWE, but he's backstage all the time. Xbox, the WWE stooge. Ooh, I like it, I like it, I like it. I can guarantee this is going to make a hitting the mark. Bullet points exclusive. So if you're out there listening to the show in real time and full time, or if you just catch the sound bite, wherever you get it from, please leave us a comment. 
who do you think the stooge is or hit us up on email so let's talk about cody a little bit cody's had a big week in addition to invading monday night raw uh number one it has been announced that cody has signed a united states exclusive deal with ring of honor uh what do you think about this decision rick I think it's great. I think it's the right move. I think it was time. time. I think it was time. It was the perfect time. You know, he had that kind of floating around out there. You know, there was some, you know, questions with Ring of Honor. How much would they trust him with being their top guy? You know, it just lets us know that that he's going to be there for quite a bit. Now, my understanding is this is a United States exclusive. So what that means is if he's wrestling on American soil, it has to be an ROH show internationally he can work for whomever he wants whether that's new japan uh any of the existing bookings that he has in the uk i'm not sure if cody's ever went to mexico but he could do that now is it just the united states or is it north america i read it as just the united states but it it may be north america now that you say that because it would not surprise me if canada's included in that i i took it as north america and maybe it's just assuming because ROH, you know, runs that area. Yeah, that's a good question. I'll I'll look into that and see if I can find a little bit more information. But um, either way, any kind of commitment there is a good thing and the right move at this time in his career. Uh, the one thing that I do question a little bit is some of the contract terms have become available on the internet. Uh. They paid Cody very, very well. And as a Sinclair employee, that makes me wonder if I'm going to get my Christmas bonus next year. Um, it sounds like you it's. Guys are all, you guys are all getting replica Ring of Honor championship rings. That's what I heard. Kiss the ring. Kiss the ring. I love that gimmick. He can keep that title as long as he wants, as long as he keeps that gimmick. I do enjoy that. Speaking of kissing the ring, Cody did retain the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship against Minoru Suzuki, Death Before Dishonor. Uh, it was, again, just kind of a miss for me, Rick. I thought it was going to fall short for you. You've got them damn high expectations on him right now. I well, I want, I, when I look at the Ring of Honor champions and I think of the people that I think of when I think of Ring of Honor... They are all in-ring generals. I want Cody to wrestle like the Ring of Honor world champion. And he just doesn't. He wrestles like a WWE guy, which is great. Solid match. He's a solid match. He wrestles like that because he is a WWE guy. But it's still, I, I don't feel like a match like that, the Suzuki's first match in the United States in 25 years, they did a really nice job of hyping it on the Ring of Honor TV. I just, I, I expected a better match. Cody's character work is on point. I just, I want it in the ring too. He'll give it to you at some point. He'll give it to you at some point. I was quite fine with it. Again, it's one of those things you don't know what was discussed in the planning of that. WWE style is likely agreed upon. And that's what we got. And it was quite good for, for those standards. 
The crowd reaction to Minoru Suzuki is just priceless. Because you can tell there's a lot of people who have no idea who Suzuki is. And they're just terrified of this guy. As well they should be. I think Suzuki, I don't, I don't even like being on the same planet as Minoru Suzuki. <laughs> the guy scares the shit out of me. I will say for those that, that, that didn't see it or are not familiar with his work, to head on over to YouTube or Google and check some of it out. He's a very unique individual to say the least. Maybe one of these days I'll get really, really drunk and just do an hour and a half rant about how scared I am of Minoru Suzuki. Well, we do have Halloween coming up, so. Are you are, are you doing Halloween this year? Like, are, are you a big Halloween person? I am not a big Halloween person because typically I end up having to work events on Halloween. Yeah, that's so, that's one of those things that kind of comes with your... Uh, on the festivity side of it. I'll be going to uh, NXT show in Des Moines Halloween weekend. And we have all decided that we're all going to dress up and make it our own personal Halloween party. So that should be entertaining. I will be dressing as Rey Mysterio this year. Excited. So speaking of New Japan. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're going to an NXT show? I'm going to an NXT show in Des Moines, Iowa. Shouldn't you just have to do with, like, NXT talent? Yeah. What am I forgetting? When the hell is Rey Mysterio in NXT? Oh, well, dude, Lucha is everywhere. If it weren't for Rey Mysterio, you wouldn't have NXT. Very excited to see Adam Cole live. Hey, worker, dude, you got to get another costume. Well, dude, I got to wear a mask. Jesus Christ, I don't have any hair. Put that in a bullet point. God. Eric Young, something like that. Eric Young. Insanity. Uh, insanity. I'm taking my kids. I'm taking my kids to an NXT show. That'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. You got. You've got in a little too late. Ended up with second row. Yeah, second row tickets this time around. What's the point, right? Oh shit. Such a slacker. I was on that reload button, too. Disappointing. So let's talk some New Japan. Uh, Some interesting notes coming out of New Japan and uh, the entire Destruction Tour. Now that that's in the books, we can look forward to King of Pro Wrestling. King of Pro Wrestling will be held on October 9th this year. Uh, Kenny Omega retained the United States Championship over Juice Robinson. It was a fine match. I'm just not into Juice. Uh, after the match, it was revealed that Yoshihashi is going to be the next challenger for the United States title. Uh, originally, I thought this match was going to be at King of Pro Wrestling. But no, this match is going to happen at Global Wars in Chicago November 5th. How do you feel about Kenny Omega defending the United States Championship in Chicago against Yoshihashi? Well, they were calling for it, correct? Oh, they were calling for Omega to defend. I'm just, I guess I'm, right. I'm more so questioning Yoshihashi as... As the choice. As the contender to Kenny Omega. Does, does that program yeah. interest you at all? Not exactly, especially here on U.S. soil. You think you'd really want to hype that up with another North American 
challenger. I'm not sure where Global Wars is. I mean, I know it's in Chicago, but I'm not sure what building they're running in Chicago. Um, I guess Kenny is they're, they're just figuring that Kenny being on the show is going to be the draw rather than so, the match itself. Is that is that kind of what you take from that announcement? That's what I would. I mean, you just expect he's going to come in, go over, give you his character work. God, I, I hope they get serious Kenny Omega and not comedy I, I Kenny Omega. I would say, Omega. you know, with all the, the worry from him tweaking his knee last time he was wrestling here in the state, it looked like it was much much needed rest. And he, he, looked, he looked sharp when he came back. He looked good. Uh, Juice Robinson really worked over that knee in the match uh, at Destruction. Um, Kenny looked good in the ring. Uh, I don't know how much of it was him really in pain and how much of it was Kenny just selling his ass off. They are at, it looks like they're at the, the Odium Expo Center. Huh. This would be Villa Park, Illinois. Isn't that the same building AAW runs? Hmm. I have to look into that a little bit more. I have to look into that. If you if you know, hit us on Twitter or on Facebook, hitting the marks. So let's talk a little bit of the King of Pro Wrestling card. Um, obviously, the U.S. title is not going to be on the show. Uh, Kenny does have an interesting match on the show, though. I think that was one of the matches that, as I was going through the card here, one of the few that, that really jumped out to me that we have here. Well, the the thing that stands out to me about Cody's match, um, it's Jado, Beretta, and Yoshihashi versus Marty Skrull, Cody, and Kenny. Anytime you have Cody and Kenny in the same place at the same time, there's always potential for very interesting things to happen. If they're going to advance the potential split of the Bullet Club... I'm interested to see where that goes. Dynamic when they're when they're with each other. When they're together, it's always interesting. Uh, also on the show, um, well, since we discussed that one, we'll we'll kind of go from the beginning here. Uh, Yujiro Takahashi, Bad Luck Fale, and Leo Tanga versus Hiromu Bushi and Sonata, Los Ingobernables. The only reason this match interests me, justice for Daryl. I'm Hiromu. And Bad Luck Fale are going to have a very, very special moment in this match. And I'm excited about it. The Funky Future versus Rapungi 3000. Uh, the Funky Future is uh, Ricochet and Taguchi, of course. We don't know who's in Rapungi 3000. I'm wondering if this is where the Switchblade promos are finally going to pay off. Makabe and Tanahashi versus Ibushi. Robinson, uh, Ibushi and Tanahashi is not going to happen until Power Struggle in November. I thought that match was going to be on this show. Are you surprised at all at that, that they're saving that match? I think they're just distributing some of these draws around here a little bit. But, oh, was it originally announced for this and then moved, or was it just some confusion on our well, part? The, ma- the match itself was announced. And, of course, King of Pro Wrestling is the next big series of shows. Like, there's a whole road to King of Pro Wrestling. Um, 
I thought for sure that they were just going to stack up this card and make it very much so like Wrestle Kingdom, but it's like they're saving these events and scattering them here and there. I think New Japan needs to realize sometimes you just got to do a big show. They had all this momentum coming out of the G1, and they've really cooled off here the last couple of months. Definitely a story to kind of keep an eye on, see if they pick it up heading into Wrestle Kingdom. Kushida versus Will Ospreay for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. No Hiromu. I was hoping this was going to be a triple threat. That's a little disappointing. But Kushida and Ospreay is an amazing match. If you saw Best of the Super Juniors, that was the final. Interesting to see if Ospreay can finally take this title off of Kushida and where it goes from there. I have a feeling Hiromu is going to be involved in this match somehow, possibly leading to Kushida, Osprey, and Hiromu at Wrestle Kingdom. I just want to add in here, anyone out there listening, if, if you're a fan of the lighter style, the juniors, and you want to see what potential, what you're actually missing, make sure you find this match and watch it. Osprey versus Kushida is going to be lit. It's going to be everything that 205 Live wishes it could be. If you're enjoying what you're seeing there on Tuesday night, do yourself a favor. You know, it's like we, went back, we said previously, if, if you're enjoying what you're seeing on 205, that's tremendous. But go up there and find what you should be expecting. Ishii versus NATO for the G1 briefcase. Um, of course, inside of the briefcase, main event shot. At Okada, Wrestle Kingdom. Any chance that NATO loses this briefcase? I think you answered this for me before. This has never happened before, correct? Not to the best of my knowledge. The case has never switched hands? Not to the best of my knowledge. Well, then let me ask you, what would be the reasoning for it here? Would there be a selling point for it? Ishii has had a great year. Ishii has kind of been the unsung MVP of New Japan this year. Okay. Um, I'm trying to make a case in my mind. I still got it at a 0.0% chance that Ishii wins this match. This match is going to be lit, though. Nato versus Ishii will be an incredible match, but Nato is going over here. Regardless of who the champion is going into Wrestle Kingdom, NATO is taking that title. NATO is the future. Speaking of the championship, that's the other match to talk about. Okada versus Evil. I know uh, we've got some Evil fans out there. I am, of course, a huge Okada fan. How do you see this one going down? Does Evil have any chance of taking this title? Well, I first want to address the road to this match. This this has been some tremendous traditional storytelling. It was just through competition in the ring. You know, Okada had that incredible run. He has dominated this promotion. And lately, he's been showing cracks. And those cracks have been caused by Evil. He's had the champ's number. Evil has pinned Okada three times now. But now it's for real. Now, now shit's real. The championship's out there on the line. There's also a couple of other things that play into this equation. Uh, 
King of Pro Wrestling two years ago is when Evil became Evil from Wanatabe. That's when he re-debuted after his excursion. Two years, Evil has come a very long way. And especially since the G1 started this year, Evil has become a legit contender for that title. I'm not sure he's ready for that spot, though. Very interested to see how this match with Okada is booked. I don't think he's ready to be put in that position. But what? It's just you know an incredible, incredible rub for this little run that they've had together here. You know this, that only has to translate to to bigger things down the line. What you said? Oh, absolutely. And there has been some talk of NATO versus Evil at Wrestle Kingdom, and I know that sounds ridiculous. Watching it from an American point of view, but. LIJ is huge over in Japan right now. Evil is over huge in Japan right now because he has pinned the dominant champion three times in the last two months. I don't think they go that way, though. I'm, I'm going to go with like a 3% chance that they put the title on Evil here. Oh, I'm in agreement with you. It's Okada's time, and then... How close is he? What's his record at? Where, what if he, he wins at? this match, he will become the longest reigning IWGP champion in history. He breaks that record on October 21st. He will so, not. So much, so much going on around this match. You talk about. There's so much involved. The history. So there's much. legacy. There's all. And then, of course, the Los Angobernables versus Chaos storyline. There's so many storylines intertwined into this one match, but I still feel like it's all building to NATO versus Okada, not evil versus Okada. Oh, no, this is just, uh, this is a great story within a grander story. I'm not sure I can think of anybody who has had a better year than Okada. And it was reflected in him being number one on the PWI index. This run that Okada has had, I hope people are appreciating it in the moment because this is one of those things we're going to look back on and be like, what was better, Flair's run or Okada's run? Because this is a very, very impressive title reign for Kazuchika Okada. And he will be made for life regardless of when he drops that title. little bit of hype for you uh as we're recording this now it's about six o'clock my time ultima lucha trace will be starting up in about an hour uh part one of ultima lucha trace you have tejano versus famous b and then the hell of war between dante fox and Killshot. uh this is a three stages of hell match in lucha does that spark your interest at all, Rick? Because I know you're not a lucha guy. I, I might check it out later tonight. I, I, I'll probably just wait for some highlights on it, and I'm not going to pretend otherwise here. I just cannot get into the damn lucha style. Oh, it's going to be a car wreck. There's going to be bodies flying everywhere tonight. It's going to be fantastic. One other subject for this week. That we wanted to bring up. Uh, this was actually brought to me by our old friend Jersey Mike. 
we were talking about some merch numbers the other day. I know, I, I know this stuff kind of fascinates you too, being a marketing guy, Rick. I sent you these numbers. Uh, up right now. What I have here, uh, these are the numbers for fiscal year 2016. Uh, they're the WWE Google Shopping Search Comparison by Talent and Brand for the full year of 2016. Uh, basically, what this tells us, what are people shopping for online? Uh, and this is broke down by quarter. Um, it gives us the top 25. I'll run down the top 25 here for you. Uh, a couple of these names are going to stand out. And a couple of the brands are going to stand out. Uh, number one, John Cena. Number two, Roman Reigns. Number three, AJ Styles. Undertaker, Rollins, Ambrose. NXT. The Bella Twins, Brock Lesnar, Kane, Randy Orton, Finn Balor, Kalisto, Triple H, Goldberg, Sasha Banks, New Day, Ric Flair, Mick Foley, Miz, Enzo, Shane O'Mac, Kevin Owens, Big Show, Dolph Ziggler. That's your top 25 merch sellers online for fiscal year 2016. What about these numbers stood out to you, Rick? We look at the top there. Well, especially your top two, Cena uh, and Reigns, no surprise at all there. So we're really jumping into this, and I know as we break this down a little bit, we're going to have some people, well, because they, they got the most merchandise. That's the ones they push the most. That is true, but you su you supply for your demand. If, if that's where your marketplace wants to go, you're going to make sure that you steer in that direction, and you're going to feed them that the items that they desire. To put this AJ? in context, we're looking at a bar graph, ladies and gentlemen, that shows us exactly what the shopping trend was. John Cena blows everybody out of the water. It's not even close. Uh, he's almost got Roman Reigns doubled for the year. Uh, Roman is in second place. And again, it's not even close. Then it drops down to AJ, Undertaker, Seth, Ambrose, NXT, Bella's Brock. That's what I would call that next tier. And in here, a couple surprising things. I was surprised to see AJ at, at number three. I was very surprised to see AJ at number three. You know, incredible talent, but I, you know, it just speaks volumes to, to not how much, you know, just possibly the smart, the smarky fans were supporting him, that he's, that he's been able to reach out and break that barrier to draw in that general audience with him. Undertaker still being number four in the company. I was surprised Austin wasn't on this list ahead of Undertaker, and Austin's not on the list at all. Now, see, now as we move into this year, I would expect Austin to skyrocket up there since they are, they're now offering off the... All those 316 shirts. 316, you know, specific to certain cities. Now, again, Which, keep in mind, too, this is 2016. So the, the, the climate is a little bit different at the end of 2016 than it is currently. AJ's been in the company for basically a year at this point, and he's the number three merch seller in the company. And he doesn't have half the merch 
that Roman you know, Reigns and John Cena have. Especially during this point, he has very little going on for him. Yeah, because on the graph here, it is actually broken down by quarter. You look at first quarter, and there's not a whole lot of anything there. Second quarter, WrestleMania season, he picks up a little bit of pace. Third quarter, he stays pretty even. And then fourth quarter, when he wins the championship, his sales go through the roof. There is nothing in these numbers that tells me that if you built this show around AJ Styles instead of Roman Reigns, or even preferably in addition to Roman Reigns, that you wouldn't be making more money. Another, you know, so you kind of mentioned you're surprised by Undertaker with, you know, just how limited he is visually to the audience and all that. Also here in this top 10, Kane is sitting in the top 10. Yeah. And I think that just speaks to the older demographic that relates to, you know, when they were really buying in and in love with the product. And we always talk about WWE's target audience being their kids and families. The truth of it is, on television, the ratings are coming from those in the 40s to early 50s. So I, that's, that's where I see the support for names like Kane and Undertaker falling into this, especially from, from that demographic. Another one that really surprised me was Finn Balor. Uh, when you look at Finn Balor's third and fourth quarter, he's selling as much merch as anybody else. And I was like, what the hell is going on? What happened in the first and second quarter? This is 2016. He wasn't even on the main roster yet. Until that third quarter. And his numbers third quarter are through the roof. Well, yeah, compared to everything else he's done, that was by far his best quarter. But then you can tell after that injury... That it they, dropped they off again. Drop off a little bit. Uh, so then I found just the second half of 2016. And the numbers change a little bit here, but they become more clear as to who was pushed at the end of the year, who had the merchandise available. Again, here's your tops. John Cena, Roman Reigns, AJ Styles, Seth Rollins, NXT as a brand, rounds out the top five. Undertaker, Finn Balor, Brock Lesnar, Dean Ambrose, the Bella Twins, Randy Orton, Kane, Goldberg. Of course, that's when he returned. He had a huge surge in the fourth quarter. Sasha, Triple H, Kalisto. Were you surprised to see Kalisto on this list, Rick? They they can move those masks like crazy. It's but, crazy how popular of, Kalisto is, and he's never on TV. I don't even know what brand Kalisto is on anymore. He's still on the Raw brand, I believe. But Why is he not on 205 Live? It's that easy It's that easy gimmick to sell. Hey, the mask is the easiest thing. And, and now that I say that, they still sell the cane mask. So on top of that nostalgia demographic buying from things for him, you do have that that novelty for kids in the cane match as well. Rounding it out here, we've got Ric Flair, Enzo Amore, The New Day, Mick Foley, The Miz, Kevin Owens, Chris Jericho, Dolph Ziggler, Big Show. So you got your heels there pulling up the back, which is kind of to be expected. I'm still pretty surprised to see Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho so low on that list. 
Well, Jericho, I think, kind of does that by design. I've heard him talk on his podcast before that when he is a heel, he doesn't want merch. He doesn't even want it to be available because he doesn't think that you should be buying merch for the bad guys. He's an old school guy like that. Well, luckily he's got some stroke because I'd be running out. I'd be running his merchandise out the left and right because the guy was carrying the product at this point. Jericho's the man. Uh, he he's on Jim Ross's podcast this week. If you haven't had a chance yet, to give that a listen. It's a really really good interview. Why the hell they weren't selling the list the list of Jericho? That, that would have been a huge seller. Another standout here for me. So everyone can just go ahead and suck it. Is the success of the Bella Twins and the brand that they have built. They're basically the only female talent that break into the top 25, whether it be for the full year or just for the second half of the year. The Bellas move merch. The Bellas are stars. People don't want to hear it. The Bellas are stars. The closest to the Bellas on these graphs for the year was Sasha Banks, and the Bellas more than doubled the merch that Sasha was moving. Yep. Yep. They And again, the Bellas seized opportunity. They took the ball. They ran with it. And like it or not, they have star power. And they are exploding people. I'm very, very interested to see how this next set of numbers stacks up for 2017 versus 2016. And this is the female merch numbers. The Bella Twins, as you were saying, more than double Sasha. Number three, Stephanie McMahon. Number four, Bailey. Number five, Becky Lynch. Natalia. Eva Marie. Charlotte. Carmella. Alexa. Lana. Asuka. Naya. Now, I, the reason that I think this is also fascinating, especially the way it's broke down by quarters, and you really see it in the women's numbers, is when people get called up from NXT, you can really see a huge jump in the numbers. So, for example, Alexa, way down the list, but you just look at her fourth quarter. Her fourth quarter is as much as the first, second, and third quarter put together. Well. Is she, is she even present on the first quarter, or is it just so blended in with the second quarter I can't even see it? No, I think it's there. She, w- it she would have been part of the draft, which was right after WrestleMania, so the beginning right. of the third quarter. And that's where you see a, a bit of a boom. And then and fourth then quarter, it just skyrockets. Drives on the scene and skyrockets to the top of that division, and it more than doubles everything she'd done up to that point fascinating numbers to to really sit and look at these numbers i might have to find a way to make these available uh if you find us on facebook i'll maybe i'll post the pictures in there so people can really sit and take a look at these while they're listening to them i think these numbers are just fascinating especially broke down by quarter what i think might be a good opportunity here we'll share this segment for a sunday conversation on obviously sunday as as a bullet point 
We'll share the conversation in the, the original post, and then directly below that, we'll share these graphs, try to get some conversation going on the 2016 year, and maybe some predictions for what we what we'll be looking at in a couple months for 2017. What I really wish I could know for 2017 is how many Bullet Club shirts are sold and then compare it to the WWE merch numbers, where exactly they would fall in the WWE spectrum of things. That would be really, really cool to know. I have no idea how I would figure that out, though. Well, I just have to do a little work on it, man. Call Hot Topic, try to just get a generalization. I know... uh, my local hot topic, anyway, uh, I went in there la- two weekends ago, I guess it was now, and they have a pretty decent supply of merch in there now. Uh, I spoke with the manager. She said at first they couldn't keep it in stock, and now it's kind of sitting there. Like, everybody that wanted it came and got it. I got it. And now it's just kind of sitting there, waiting for the LIJ merch to finally make it to my neck of the woods. So that's it for episode five. Uh, coming up next week, we're going to take a look back at the week that's been, including the go-home show for Hell in a Cell. Uh, make sure that you follow the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod. We actually started using that a little bit this week. Uh, find the show on Facebook at Hitting the Marks. Drop us an email at hittingthemarks at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Hitting the Marks podcast on iTunes or Podbean so that you never miss an episode. Be sure to drop us at 555 five 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 star Meltzer rating you can find me across all social media platforms at not jargo rick how do the stalkers find you i got three things here this week the hitting the hot marks listeners can find me on twitter at the real rbz i was actually thinking about that i don't know why i always plug it because do i barely even remember to go check my twitter account something I, that i really need to get on the ball with if you're looking for some interesting and interactive discussion, head on over to Facebook and join us on the WrestleZone discussion group. And finally, if you if you are an owner, manage, or know someone who does and are in need of digital media marketing services, please hit me up on Facebook at Herd Marketing. That's Herd, H-E-R-D-D, Marketing. Or give me a call at 513 513- 227-6504. Rick Vickery, Herd Marketing. My match of the week, SummerSlam 2005. Shawn Michaels versus Hulk Hogan. Probably the most oversold match since John Cena and Roman Reigns. That's it, everybody. We're off like a prawn dress. See you next week. Enable me. I don't give a f- Your kind, break the couples that go stuck it down and
Violate, mutable, 